Hey guys, Pastor Jesse here. Thank you for being here and deciding to listen back to our sermon. We appreciate you. Um, and before I get into this sermon, I did want to acknowledge that I know it's been a long time since we last posted a podcast. For the past several months, life's been crazy. Um, seems like it's always like that. I got a job teaching at a high school here locally in August, and I was already a little bit behind on formatting our sermons to a podcast format. And the further I fell behind, the less I wanted to go back, and it seemed as though they were piling up on me. So between busyness and a lack of desire to catch up, I just didn't. And uh, so I wanted to let you know, you can nearly find all of our sermons on our Facebook page. Um, as we do live stream most of our services, we do miss the occasional service for an agape service, or even we've been newly venturing into more of a Bible study format for our service. Nonetheless, I wanted to let you know that um, we're back to posting. And if you wanted to check back on some of our previous sermons or services, you can go onto Facebook. Uh, something I did want to add as well, and something I want to speak to just in general, that uh, as a reminder that this is not church, right? This is a resource. We love that you're here, and we love that you're uh, checking this out, but it cannot replace the necessity to be meeting in a local assembly fathered by qualified elders. I would encourage you not to use this resource as an opportunity to miss out on what God is doing in the church of your local community. I want to encourage you to keep in the faith, grow in Christ, and build, God, build God's kingdom. Um, you know, ultimately, though, uh, we're glad you're here. Use this as a resource. God bless you, and enjoy the sermon from February 13th, 2022. Oh, and enjoy some of our congregation ending in a song of worship before we start. I listened back to it, and it touched my heart. I love hearing our church um, worship. I just really do. So I hope it is a blessing to you as well. Uh, God bless. Faces, nobody is choosing and opting to be in the front row. Well, Selena is granted, but I had this couch set up, and I thought for sure people would sit in the couches, right? Or the couch, I should say. Brian's like, okay, good. Brian's like, yeah, deal. Done. Nice. Yeah, and see, I, I don't know. I just thought, you know, let's pull the couch out. That's kind of crazy. It'll mess with people. But then you guys are just like, oh, avoid the couch. That's like. That's for those secret sensitive people. Let's not do that. I got people. Oh, nice. You got friends. All right. Look at all these friends. Front row. Look at. Okay, you guys, but think about this. All we need to do is get some couches in the front row, and now all of a sudden the kids care about the sermon. Brian cares about the sermon. There's some investment in the sermon. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> All right, we are um, we're excited to have another day to celebrate the Lord and what yeah. He has made. So as we get into the sermon today, I do want to uh, warn you guys of a couple things. One, I uh, can't. It's hard for me to talk and kind of process what I'm turning at the same time. I was fighting giving this word all week. Um, it's something that I've been praying through, debating on. I've been studying 1 Corinthians 6 with the fullest of intentions to get back into Corinthians, back into our study of Corinthians. However, I do believe I would be in sin to not release this word here today. 
However, one thing I do want to preface, and understandably I want you to understand, uh, is that I really fight against things like this because I don't want to be preaching um, sermons that I feel like the church needs to hear. And admittedly, uh, I know we've had a lot of people in and out because of COVID or in and out because of sickness or in and out because of circumstances in your life over the past several weeks. We've done Circle Church for the past three weeks, so this is the first time you're back in somewhat normal of a <laughs> sanctuary. And I was fighting this, just ready to get back into 1 Corinthians 6, but I just felt this unrelenting pressure that I needed to release this word, um, this, if you will, rhema word that I felt like the Lord put on my heart uh, and impressed upon me. So I prayed through it, I prayed through it, I prayed through it. I, I did not want to give this word. I'm just being honest with you guys. I wanted to get back into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, and I did not want anyone to think that I'm just giving this word because I'm looking at our church thinking, man, these guys still are not good at loving each other, okay? I can look, practically speaking, and say, you know, we're still growing. We're still a young church that's learning how to love, right? And you could look and say, oh, it's the day before Valentine's, so of course Pastor Jesse's going to talk about love. But I promise you, everything in me wanted to get back to just 1 Corinthians 6 and get back into expository, line by line, get back into 6, study, know my things, and and just, I like it. Uh, and so I'm saying all of this preface, so you'll bear with me, that this past week, the Lord impressed upon my heart something from Acts chapter 9. It is Saul on Damascus Road, who became Paul, in which Christ, and we will read it, he says, Saul, and I, I like the rendering, Oh Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so this has been ringing through my head all week. And I want to open into what I believe the Lord impressed in my heart this week um, for the sermon today. So Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And this translation I'm reading from is the New King James Version. And it reads, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, and that's a Christian, right? Any of Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he became near, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Verse 4, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this is what I want to hone in on. And he responded, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick against the goads. And now some of your translations might not even say that, since we'll explore that here in a moment. Right? But this idea of Saul, oh Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here's the reality. At this point, Jesus Christ had already ascended. So who is Saul actually persecuting? <coughs> People of the way. Christians. You and I. Me and you. He is pursuing and killing and harassing people of the way. Christians. Yet, Christ comes to him in the fullness of truth and says, Saul, oh Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I think we all know, in theory, in our minds, that we are the body of Christ. But I feel this burden pressing in on me that we do not yet know it in our hearts. Because it is one thing to know something in your mind, but it is another thing to know it in your heart. And that is why I say, and I will say till I'm blue in the face, that everything you learn, everything you study, every theology you get yourself into, if it's merely head knowledge, then it's a waste of space. Because head knowledge is not what's going to save you. You can know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ, and that does not mean you're saved. It is something that happens in your heart. And so you have to know something, and you have to push it down into your heart and let it transform you and change you and change the way you live. And the unfortunate reality is many people live in this understanding, this small, simple understanding of the gospel, but it's merely in their brain, and they have not received a new heart. They have not been given the Holy Spirit. And that's a sad reality. And I've said publicly from this pulpit last year that I would rather preach 
assuming none of us, including myself, are saved, than to preach assuming you're all saved and let's move on. Because heaven forbid I get up to heaven and I learn the sad reality that far too many people of my church or this church, right, were in heaven. For rather many perished. So I will always, one of my favorite quotes, and I believe it's uh, John Stott, maybe? But one of my favorite quotes is, we preach to keep sinners from hell, not to preach to fill seats in our church. Right? I'm not preaching to fill the seats in this place. I'm preaching to keep sinners, you and I, from hell. And so as I venture into this, keep in mind some of the passages we explore and some of the necessity, the language in which the scriptures write of love for your brother is going to be hard, maybe even for us, to push into our minds, let alone push into our hearts. So let me, with this, with this long introduction, let me open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that ultimately you have your way in this service today. God, that we, each of us, are ready round to receive the word in which you have prepared for this body. God, I pray right now that I lay aside myself, my flesh, that Jesse is to the side, and right now I am just a willing vessel operating under the unction of your spirit. God, I pray that if there's anything off script that you would like to do or accomplish in this service today, that I'm yielded and ready for that. God, I just ultimately want to give you all glory, all honor, and all praise, and that as we explore the scriptures together, we can grow in our understanding of your word so that we can push it from our head to our heart and let it change us, let it change our community, let it change the way we live, let it change us to be more like you and more yielded to the spirit and better and better <coughs> disciples of Christ. <coughs> Father, have your way in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I move past this passage, I do want to speak briefly to this idea of it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And if any of you are cool in here and rocking a KJV, it'll say the pricks, I believe. <laughs> now, what this is referencing is when an ox um, was being herded, if you will, or being told where to go as they're laboring the, the, the land, um, an oxen, they had a stick where they would put an iron um, prick on it, an iron hook, if you will. Yeah, depending. You can Google it at some point later on and look at it. But it looks like a miniature war weapon, right? Probably not something you want to get in Trini's hands. <laughs> and what they would do is if, uh, and to guide the oxen was they would prick at them a little bit, just a little bit, just to make sure they're directing them and steering them in the right direction. But there was a common idiom in Greek culture, kick against the goads. And that's because of what the oxen sometimes did. Was sometimes they didn't like this prick. And so rather than yield to the prick, rather than adhere to the prick, they would kick against it. And so this idea is that when you choose to go against this push, that you actually end up hurting yourself worse. Because what would happen as they kicked against it is it would drive deeper into their flesh. You know, you've, it's like me putting a knife out, right? And, uh, you know, putting it maybe up against your belly, and you're like, oh yeah, I don't like that, so I'm going to push against it. Right? That doesn't make sense, but oxen don't understand this. But it was a common idiom, uh, and proverb, if you will, to essentially say, when you go against, and what, what Christ is trying to communicate here, is when you go against my will, when I'm trying to direct you and push you into a direction, you're only hurting yourself. That's the idea. And I have in parentheses here, um, the more the oxen rebelled, the more it suffered. How much better to heed God's voice, listen to the pains of our conscience. By, re by resisting God's authority, we are only punishing ourselves. Oftentimes in this assembly, often I believe in your own life, you may have an impression, a pull, a push, something where you feel like the Spirit is yielding you or, or, or leading you to do something and yet you push against it and the idea here is that by you going against this impression of the spirit or this pull of the spirit is that you're only hurting yourself 
because we know that God will ultimately have his way. And so I want to do two things here because the, the thing I want to key in on first is that, is that Christ is saying, Saul, oh Saul, why are you persecuting me? But we know Christ was not technically, physically being persecuted. That was done and gone. But rather, he is persecuting the church, the way, the people of the way. And so two passages I want to read to you. Revelation 21, 1 through 2. There are plenty of passages on this. I just like these two in particular. Um, and Revelation in general talks about us as the bride of Christ. 21, 1 through 2, New King James Version. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is, huh? One through two. This is the idea of the new heavens, new earth, right? When I talk about eschatology, a lot of times people are just thinking, oh, when's the rapture coming? We're talking new heavens, new earth. No more darkness, no more sin, no more evil, no more night. It goes on to talk about that in the following verses. Right? So when we're talking about eschatology, oftentimes we're forgetting that the biggest part of eschatology is the new heavens and new earth, the glorified bodies, raising from the dead, people coming down. Right? And John had this vision of a new heaven, new earth. All of it had gone away. And he says, and I saw God with his glorious, beautiful, sanctified, purified, adorned bride prepared for her husband. We are that bride. The church is that <clears throat> Right. Rachel had a word for us at the beginning of last year, which was this relentless pursuit of righteousness. And if you understand Old and New Covenant, it's always been this push of getting people to understand their role as the bride of Christ and to purify yourself, to present yourself as a pure and spotless bride. Now, I'm not even saying purify yourself from your own nature, from your own flesh, right? But no, it's yielding to the Spirit. That's the greatest part, is Christ gave us the answer to this purification, this process of sanctification. It's that we now yield to the Holy Spirit, and by doing so, the Spirit is presenting and preparing us to be the bride of Christ. And I want to read Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. And I'm actually going to read from the Amplified Version for this particular rendering. Um, I read a lot of different translations um, last night for this. So 2 Corinthians 11, and I, I decided to start in verse 2 and 3. Amplified. And I love the way Paul is writing to them. We know a lot about Corinthians now, if you've been here for at least six months, and we're here when we introduced ourselves to the church in Corinth, right? But we know a lot, and this is his second letter, or, well, his third or fourth technically, but the second in the, the word that was canonized, right? Two verses, <laughs> 2 and 3. For I am zealous for you with a godly eagerness and a divine jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, capital H there, to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But now I am fearful, lest that even as the serpent beguiled, or a better word in your translations may say charmed, lest that even as the servant, serpent charmed Eve by his cunning, so your minds may be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is writing to the church in Corinthians saying, I am jealously eager. I, am, I have this divine jealousy in place of, in lieu of the Christ, Jesus Christ. I betrothed you to him. What does he mean by that? He essentially says, when I preached, you the God, preached to you the gospel and you received it, at that moment I betrothed you to one husband, to Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when I presented the gospel to you, that was me essentially lining you up with this ultimate husband named Jesus. Right? And he says, I wanted to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, but now I am fearful. I'm rereading it. Lest that even as the serpent charmed Eve by his cunning, so now your minds have become corrupted, or may be corrupted is what he says, but they're essentially this idea of you're falling into corruption, and seduced from wholehearted and sincere, pure devotion to Christ. <clears throat> That's a question we need to wrestle with as people of God. Do I have a wholehearted, sincere, and pure devotion to my King? To Christ. Because that is the reality. We are the bride of Christ. 
And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, some of us are so good at looking at the sins of the world and being like, man, look at that sin. Look at that sin. Yet we don't care anything about the sin of the bride of Christ. We've got all these twisted, warped perspectives when reality strikes that that God is far more concerned with the sins of his bride than he is of the sins of this world. He's far more concerned with your sin than the world's sin. Can I say that? Can I throw a mirror in front of our faces here real quick and say that stop looking over there at that sin and be focused on your sin? You know, elsewhere in the scriptures, it tells us that we are to judge the church concerning sin and that God judges the world considering their sin? That's not really our job. Our job is to actually judge the church concerning our sin with each other. Our job is not to judge the world concerning their sin. That's God's job. And so we continue with this question in mind. Do you have a sincere and pure devotion to your betrothed, to Christ? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28 shows this unity that we are one, we are the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, and we've preached through Ephesians now, so hopefully I don't need to get too into the context here, and bear with me as we do go through verse by verse to kind of build this this word. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We are all sons of God through this faith in Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. What he is saying is he's not ruling out that the fact that there is actually literally Jews and Greeks, and we talked about this when we preached through Ephesians. He's not saying that there isn't actually literally male and female, right? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that there are people with different biological and physical features and things like that. He's not saying that, but rather he's saying that we are one, and this is what he ends with, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We celebrate our diversity. We celebrate the old. We celebrate the young. We celebrate the man. We celebrate the woman. We celebrate the Jew. We celebrate the Greek. We celebrate being ethnically diverse. Right? That, that's a common thing that I know even Rachel has viewed for our church. She's like, I just, I, I yearn for a day where we have, yes, bud, where we have just everyone. Like, it's not, you know, and I think Jeremiah Johnson's even talking about that. I walk, walk into a church, and it's a white church. I walk into a church, and it's a black church. I walk into a church, and they're a, a Hispanic church. I walk into a church, and they're a Republican church. I walk into another church, and they're a, 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 a Democratic church, right? It's like we always lump up with these things that aren't, Kingdom-minded. Kingdom-mindedness is we unite because of Christ. I don't care about your color. I don't care what you look like. I don't care about your culture. No, I do, but not really, right? I care about your culture. I do. Like in AP Human Geography, we, we talk a lot about culture. Um, that's the, one of the biggest aspects of it. And we talk a lot about culture. It's like, but now we're building this culture of Christ, right? And you've got to bring in your culture, and not that it changes the culture of Christ, but we got to celebrate the fact that we're different, we're diverse, and we have Differences, right? We get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate the, the wisdom of the old and the youthfulness of the young. We get to celebrate the man. We get to celebrate the woman. We get to celebrate the new child. We get to celebrate your lineage and your heritage and your family. And we create this kingdom-minded, Christ-centered community. We are all one in Christ. It, con- it continues in Ephesians 5. I want to jump to this, and this is that call. 525 is that verse. If you don't remember, I said all men should memorize. I don't know if you did, but I said everyone in this room, every man should memorize this. So we're going to read that. Verse 25, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Every husband, every man who desires to be married should have this memorized. Because the call of a husband is not just to you know, oh, she looks good, and we have fun together. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Brian. That's not the call, right? That's not the call of a husband. Rather, the call of a husband is to love her as Christ loved the church. <laughs> the church is Christ's bride. How much does Christ love his church? He died for her, exactly. He died for her. He loves her that much. So husbands should love their wives so much that they would die for her. So willingly, so easily, so readily. 
And he says, and gave himself for her, right? And now continuing verse 26, this is actually no longer talking about husbands. This is talking about Christ with his bride. And it goes on to say, that's why husbands should be like this too, because Christ is like this with his bride. And who's his bride? It says right there in verse 25, the church is Christ's bride. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, right? The word Christ, the Lagos, the scriptures, the gospel, it's all intertwined here. That he might present her to himself, right? He died for her, that he may, by the word, present her sanctified and purified so he can present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Right? So many of us are so fine with this idea that, oh, a church is messy and have spots and dirt and clumps and grossness and sin. You know that that's not really what it should look like. I understand that it is. I understand that we're all sinners. I understand that we all make mistakes. I understand that this will never be something we're not dealing with. But just because, oh, I got a stain on my shirt means you just leave the stain, right? In this context with the church, we say, oh, there's a stain. Let's fix it. Let's clean it. Let's scrub it clean. Let's resolve this. Right? And it says, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, should be holy and without blemish. We, as a church, should be holy. Right? We, as a church, should have spot or wrinkle. We should be without blemish. In verse 28, it continues, and I want to get to verse 30 and 31 here in a moment, but let's continue. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, right? Husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. Why? Because Christ loves his church as his own body. That's what it's saying, right? Christ is the head of us, the body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. He nourishes us and he cherishes us. That is a beautiful picture Right? If you are sealed and brought into this body of Christ, you are of the one faith, you are baptized into Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit, and now he nourishes you and he cherishes you. I, I just love this imagery of, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ, he nourishes me and he cherishes me. Some of you may not feel that way, but don't yield to your feelings, right? Yield to the truth. And this is the truth, that he nourishes you and cherishes you. For we are members of his body, verse 30, of his flesh and of his bones. We're going to spend maybe a brief moment on this um, because I have some <laughs> immaculate commentary from none other than C.H. Spurgeon on this, but <laughs> I'm that guy. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And verse 32, this is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's like, we are his body, we are his flesh and his bones. And yes, it's kind of a mystery. And yes, it's kind of hard to understand. But this is the truth. You are his body now. So let me read to you and remind you a couple things that the scriptures also say. Right? It also says elsewhere that he is our rock and he is our firm foundation. So we build upon him. It also says elsewhere, Christ teaches us that he is the vine and we are the branch. We have no life source if we're not grafted to the vine. Right? So he is our source for everything. He is our foundation for everything. Um, and then it says he is our husband. So everything is by him, for him, through him, to him. We have to get this through our heads at times. Right? We are from him, by him, for him, to him. Everything revolves around Christ. And I'm going to read two different commentaries from Spurgeon. It's, a, it's not even a commentary. This is actually a sermon he gave on one verse. <laughs> and this sermon was long. But it was one verse, Ephesians 5.30. We are of his flesh and bones. That verse. He gave an entire sermon on. And, uh, and this is, these are things he said in the sermon. And they just went so hand in hand with what the Spirit's been pushing me to say. So I want to read these. There is here union of life, union of a relationship, and union of service. See what I mean. Your hand never studies what it can do for the head. But when the head wishes the hand to be uplifted, immediately up goes the hand. 
And when the head wishes that the hand should go down, down it goes in an instant. There is no deliberation or discussion about the matter. The head and the members is a in a healthy body are practically one. Right? My hand does not tell my head what to do. That's not how it works. But the moment my head says, lift your hand up to your temple of your head, it, it happens in an instant. Your brain controls the rest of your body. Right? Everything that happens from here down is because of my brain. You know, your brain also tells you to blink and tells you to breathe, right? Without you even thinking about it. Your brain is crazy. It's the control center. And that's what Spurgeon is saying. He's saying, without even thinking about it, you're the hand. There's no, there's no fight. There's no, there's no kicking against the goads. The head says, raise up. You raise up. The head says, go down, go down. And he says, that's Christ with his bride. That's what it should look like. Yet it doesn't, obviously, we know, because we're not a healthy body. But he says, in a healthy body, it goes up, it goes down. So in a healthy body, when Christ says, Selena, do this, Selena does that. And when Christ says, Selena, do this, well, Selena does that, right? Just using Selena because she's very involved here. It's fine. He continues on later on, he says this, and this is really huge for what I want to talk about and conclude with. Between the head and the members, there is also a union of feeling. If the head aches, you feel it all over. You are altogether ill. And if your finger aches, your head does not feel well. Now think about this. How do you know that your finger is hurting? Because there are nerves that are damaged or whatever goes on, and it's sending receptors up to your brain saying, ow, my finger hurts. Okay? And he says this. There is such a sympathy, sympathy between all parts of the body that whether one member suffers uh, whether one member suffer, another member suffers with it. And one or one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 25-27 that he quotes. But it's part of this quote. So we continue. Christ is our head, and the head specially suffers with the members. I do not know whether it is always so clear that one hand suffers with another hand as it is clear that the head suffers with either hand, right? If this hand is in pain, I, I think this hand's fine, right? This hand feels fine. But when this hand is in pain, it's all your brain can think about, right? That was always that thing Mark said. I'm like, oh, I hurt my leg. He's like, why would you stop thinking about it? And punches you in the arm. <laughs> How's your leg feel now? Well, yeah, now my arm hurts, right? Your brain cares about what parts of your body hurt. And he's saying, Christ is the head of his church, so, so much does he care and does he know when you're hurting, when you're struggling. He says, the other hand might not know that the other hand is in pain. You might have broken this hand, but this hand's fine. It's doing dishes, it's cleaning diapers, it's playing football, right, doing all those things, but this hand's in pain. And the head is ever so aware that this hand is in pain. And that's what he's saying with Christ. He is ever so aware of when his body is in pain. I continue. This isn't quite over yet. So is it with the church. Um, it may not always be clear that all of the members sympathize with each other. But it is always clear that Christ sympathizes with each one of his people. There is a quicker way somehow from the head to the hand than there is from one hand to the other. There is a keener sympathy between Christ and his people than there often is between one of his servants and another. It is written concerning his people that in all their affliction he was afflicted. In all thy sorrows, child of God, the heavenly Father, head feels the pain. John 13. I had this in my notes, and my mother prayed this this morning. She didn't even know. 13, 34 through 35. And something I challenged in my most recent podcast as well, but I talk about this. A new commandment I give to you, this is Christ speaking, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is one of the reasons I struggle with kind of the mystic uh, history of Christianity is because they see, right, it's this, everything's about the feelings of being in the ever presence of God and everything, and you live and die for that. And so a lot of mystics went into isolation to get away from the world, to get away from life, to get away from people, so that they could be as intimately close to God as possible. And some of them um, kind of 
you know, some of them were pretty solid, some of them were kind of weird, <laughs> and that maybe is what happens when, when you're like that, I don't know, and, and no, weird isn't always bad, right? But um, I struggle with this idea, though, because everywhere in Scripture I see it says, it talks about the church, it talks about loving Christ, loving the church, loving your neighbor. And it says in verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will know that you are a disciple of Christ by your love, not for the world, but for one another. Right? And this is a quote I posted on my Instagram this past week um, in, in collaboration with a post I made, but it's from Jonathan Edwards, his book, Charity and Its Fruits. True love is an ingredient in true and living faith. Right? If we're going to go by the name living faith, he's, he's saying true love is an ingredient for true and living faith, and is what is most essential. So then he goes on to say, it's an ingredient in living faith, and it's the most essential ingredient. And distinguishing in it, love is no ingredient in a merely speculative faith, but it is the life and soul of a practical living faith. He says, true love is the life and soul of a practical living faith. So if we want to honor the name that we chose for this congregation, Living Faith, then we have to also acknowledge the key most ingredient, the life and soul of living faith, is living love. Is true love. Right? So if we were to flush through this, and I want to read this because this is a verse that my wife, as we kind of talked through this idea, that came to her heart, and I just want to read it real quick. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, and we're going to read five verses together. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is that... Uh, that verse that Spurgeon was asked about, and he said, is the word Christ or is the word the scriptures? And everyone was debating what Hebrews 4 meant by this. And he said, why, it's both, of course. And at the time, a lot of people thought he just didn't want to be a part of the debate, and that's why he said that. But later on, scholars began to agree with Spurgeon's opinion and more and more adopt this same view, that this particular reference here is both. It's Christ and the scriptures. Okay, and he goes on to say, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Right, that makes it sound very much like Christ. Right, but even penetrating us as far as the division of soul and spirit, and to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. The reality is, and if you flow through, and I know this might be something that is I, I need to work through and communicate in, a, in an effective way. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me being my body. My body is in pain. He says, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because Christ and his body are so intertwined that they're one. So when Saul is persecuting his body, the people of God, Christ feels it and sympathizes with it, and, and it brings him anguish, and just the same way if you broke your hand, your head knows about it, right? So when people come against the body of Christ, Christ knows about it, and he, he feels that pain, and he anguishes in that pain, because he is the head of his body. We are his bride, and there is this mandate to love each other and to work together to be of one mind, to be of one accord. And yet I know it's difficult. 
It's very easy to be like, I love my head, because that's Jesus Christ. He never sinned. He loves me. He's forgiving. He's nice, kind of sometimes, unless he brings out the whips at the time, you know. But that wouldn't be me. Right? But then, oh, gosh, Brian, he's such a sarah. I mean, I know he's a Christian, so I love him, you know, but kind of. Is that your wife? Or my wife? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We are. We are all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. So it becomes a lot more difficult to love the sinners within the body of Christ than the one who is without sin. So many of us might oftentimes think, oh, the way of the mystics, that sounds right. I don't have to worry about people, and people are terrible. So yeah, I'm just going to, just me, myself, and the Holy Spirit, and that's it, and nobody else matters, right? I think that is a, a huge error, because everything in scriptures dictates this necessity of love for one another and to work together to accomplish the head's purposes here on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to work of one accord, of one mind, to love each other. We are known by our love for one another. All of this is flowing together and saying, you are my body, do what you can, love each other, work together, and accomplish my will, my purposes here on earth. The reality is Jesus did not need us. But he chose to graft us in into his body so that we could be his hands and his feet. We could be his body here on earth. He chose to do that. I want to, I, I did not have this in my notes, but I'm going to jump through a few verses in 1 John as well. We have a few minutes that we can do this. <coughs> 1 John chapter 2 is where I want to start. Verse 7, and I'm reading from the ESV. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9. I want you to not just know this. I want you to push this into your heart and live this. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. John is literally saying, if you do not love somebody who is a brother in Christ, then you're fooling yourself. You're in darkness. That's a hard pill to swallow. I don't care who you are. That's a hard pill to swallow. Verse 10, I want to read just a couple more. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you know that you can fool yourself and you think you're a Christian when you're not? In fact, the scriptures talk about that quite often. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did you know you can prophesy and not be saved? Did you know you can cast out demons and not be saved? Did you know you can perform many miracles and not be saved? And he says, you're a worker of lawlessness. And here we have in 1 John 2, he says, this is the new commandment I give you. But it's not even really a new commandment. It's the same commandment. And what is it? To love your brother. And if you don't love your brother in your heart, then you're fooling yourself. You're in darkness. You're walking in darkness. And in fact, it's so dark that you're blind, you don't even realize you're in the darkness because you're blind. This is harsh language. This is a struggle to read. And if you're just thinking, yeah, that's no big deal. Maybe you need to swallow this pill again, okay? I'm telling you, this isn't easy. It isn't easy to love people all the time. It isn't. I understand that, right? I get that. I'll use Brian again because I love Brian. It isn't easy to love Brian all the time. <laughs> right? It isn't. It isn't. It isn't love to, It isn't easy to love people all the time. Is anybody getting permission? I'm just picking on Brian because he's in the front row, you know? He's looking for more people. He's like, come on. I want to continue. Um... First John chapter 3. And he continued to hit it. Okay? Verse 11 in chapter 3. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murder his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Notice that language. We have passed out of death into life. And how do we know that? Because we love our brothers. And he's talking about your church family. Because we love our unlovable sinners. Right? Whoever does not love abides in death. Nobody's memorizing that nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody is. Whoever does not love abides in death. Nobody's got that memorized. Nobody's got that tattooed across their chest. (laughs) Right? Usually it's like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Right? Nobody's writing, like, whoever does not love abides in death. He continues. John continues. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You hate somebody? Murderer. And you don't have life living with inside of you. Now, I'm not talking about, like, a frustration or offense, right? The scriptures teach us how to deal with offenses or frustrations, right? We have to do that. Because what happens is that resentfulness grows up in our hearts, and offenses turn into hate. Okay? Verse 16, I'm not even going to stop. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Right? And this is, this is a scripture that I think is so profoundly accurate of the American church right now. We love to talk about how we love. Right? And he says that. Let us not love in word and talk, but in deed, in action, and in truth. Okay, one last, one last section here. Chapter 4, just a little bit later. Verse 7 is where I want to start. And I'll stop harassing you after this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Right? We know that. We know, oh, God is love. But do we realize right before that it says, if you don't love, then you're not of God, because God is love? Right? We love to say, oh, God is love. I'm not loving all the time, but God is love. But it literally says, God is love, and that's how you know his disciples, because they love like he loves. That's a challenging verse, too. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. The only way this is all possible is by his spirit. Right? When I was talking about the martyrs to some of the school, the kids in my school, they're like, how would they give up the known for the unknown? I'm like, that's what faith is. It's not unknown. It's they knew. They gave up the known for what they even know more so. Something I read this past week that I loved was from A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God, in which he said, your five senses are waging war on you because they ever so demand that you're aware of this physical reality all around you. Touch, smell, eyesight, right? Hearing, uh, taste, I think is the other one, right? The five senses. He's saying they're waging war against you. Why? Because as a spiritual person who's called to set your mind on the things of the spirit, you have five senses that are pulling you back to the flesh and to the physicalities of this world. 24-7. Never stops. But he says, but now you're a spiritual person. And you're supposed to be aware of the spiritual realities all around you that are just as real as the physical realm. And yet you have five senses that wage war against you and want to pull your attention back into the physical. Right? But we are spiritual people with spiritual minds and spiritual thoughts and spiritual focuses. 
So I promise you, this spiritual focus, this shifting, this turning, this pushing, right? This Jonathan Edwards quote, true faith is defined by the, the soul of true faith. The lifeline of true faith is true love. Right? Galatians 5, 6. But faith expressing itself through love. How is faith expressed? Through love. Well, what is faith? We, we teach and preach sola fide here at this church. That means you're justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, right? So it means you're saved if you have this faith. But then it says in Galatians 5, 6 that true faith, that saving faith, is expressed in love. So I want to challenge you, right? This is one of those words that I, I told you guys. I fought it off. Because why? I've been hitting this every week for the past few weeks, just doing little Bible studies on love and unity and working together and collaboration, being of one mind, being of one accord. And so I'm like, why another week of saying, but now I'm being a little more blunt because the impression I got on my heart was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He feels when somebody hurts. He feels their pain. Right? There are people in this church right now that are in pain, that are struggling. Right? There are people right now that are struggling with sin, that are struggling with depression, that are struggling with offenses, that are struggling with things. Right? Whatever it may be, Luke's struggling right now. We, because Christ is our head, we should love, we should lay aside all the silliness, and we should love the people who are struggling. We should be there for the ones who are hurting. We should be those people. And I just feel this, this anguish in me. Right? I know that we've, I think we've, we've come a long way as a church. And I know, I remember Michelle, like, when we had our meeting and I was talking about, like, the vision of the church. She's like, I really like that you're pushing this community and, like, unity idea. You know, <laughs> I just love the way she worded it, though, because I'm just like, yeah, I'm pushing it hard because, and I told you guys a couple weeks ago in Sunday school, for those of you that were there, I said, I'm not going to be a compromised pastor that goes away from scriptures just because, meh, I would rather just not be a pastor, right? Like, we're a small enough church. <laughs> like, I'm going to push unity and love and one accord all the time. Because we're a small enough church that it shouldn't be too hard to do. But the reality is we are all still, you know, sinning, falling people that make mistakes. We have to be quick to forgive, quick to reconcile, and fix our focus on those who are actually struggling within the body. Those that are actually anguished. Those that are actually hurting. Those that are actually depressed. Those that are actually, you know, uh, the lost sheep, right? The good shepherd leads the 99 for the one. And I promise you there are people in this church right now that feel like the one. And we're so focused on picking a fight with number 97 when we're number 45, but the one is out there lost. We need to fix our focus and worry about the things that Christ worries about and care about the things Christ cares about. So I want to challenge you over this next week. I want to challenge you to work out everything you can within your own heart, right? Within your own space. Do everything you can here. Pray. Fast if you have to. Read the scriptures. Remind yourself of the truth. Right? Christ cherishes you. He nourishes you. Remind yourself in that. Live in that. If there's anything you need to deal with, deal with it. Right? And then, if you know somebody that's struggling, I want you to be there for them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to fast for them. I want you to go and talk to them. I want you to take them out to coffee. I want you to encourage them in the Word. I want you to encourage them in Christ. Right? Because there are people, and, and it's not always easy, right? But that's the hope. And if you're somebody who is struggling, I hope you reach out to somebody. I hope you say, hey, I'm, I'm the one I'm struggling right now. I'm the one I'm hurting right now. Because not all of us can read minds. I know Jarrell can, right? But I can't. <laughs> it feels like Jarrell reads my mind. I'm like, what's happening? He's in there. So it's because he's so quiet and contemplative. I just think he's jumping into my brain and running laps. <laughs> he's not running laps sitting across the table from me, but in my brain, he's running laps, learning all there is to learn. You guys ever felt that way with like Dick Williams when he looks you in the eyes? You're like, stop oh, yeah. reading me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this anymore. I thought I wanted a prophetic word. I don't. I changed my mind. She was the one that was scary. 
Then he brings one stone. Oh no. No, no, no. Maybe great You guys know. Right, but we're we are, we're all not like that. Not all of us are. You know? I look at Malik, I'm like, he's good, he's straight, he's 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 fine. And then the, in his mind he might be like, Man, I'm mad right now. But I think he's happy. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think you're the happiest guy too. <laughs> I want to close because here's the reality. I, I, I know this was kind of, I, I don't know, I feel like it was a hard word, and I fought the Holy Spirit all week to get it. I really didn't want to. I wanted to get back into 1 Corinthians 6. I felt like I've hit this unity, love, issue all freaking January, right? If I'm allowed to say freaking from the pulpit, I don't know. But that's what I want to say. I want to, man, I dealt with it all freaking January, right? And uh, I say that in my prayer closet. That's why I said it from the pulpit. Now you guys know my heart's exposed. Um, I did. I was like, God, I've covered this. We're good. Let's move on. Let's get back into Corinthians. And I just could not escape it. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When we come against each other, when we are not loving each other, when we are not concerned with who's hurting, we are hurting the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is Christ. So don't come against your Savior. Don't come against your King. Don't come against your everything. Align yourself with the will of Christ. Align yourself with his heart, his desires, his, his wishes. Right? So that way you can be a part of that one body, one mind, one accord. We serve a God who draws. Um, and I, I want to end with this because this is kind of the, like the positive note that I ended with and I didn't spend as much time on uh, as I could have. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Christ knows. He lived a life here on earth. He knows. He knows. He was tempted to sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because we serve a king who knows, and he can sympathize with us, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. There is grace, there is mercy waiting for you at the throne. Right? That's the reality. There is grace and mercy waiting for you at the throne. Be reconciled. Reconcile with others. Love. Forgive. And reach out to the ones who are hurting. And if you're hurting, please don't isolate yourself. Reach out and let us know. I want to pray for you. I will fast for you. I will do whatever you want me to do. Right? Except for dress up as a clown. <laughs> Let me close in prayer before I start getting silly. Okay? Let me close in prayer before starting silly. Heavenly Father, I pray that we, uh, as your body, as as a small community, God, I pray that we can learn to uh, love, learn to forgive, learn to cherish, learn to truly uh, honor John thirteen thirty five, where Christ teaches us by this. They will know, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. God, we don't want to be people that don't look like we love each other. We don't want to be people that look like family members who just got stuck together and now we're stuck. Right? Calling back all the way to back last year when I said, I just kind of want to be friends again. Because right now, sometimes it just feels like we're family members who, eh, yeah, we're family because we've been together for such a long time. I think I thank you, Lord, for the, the newness. I thank you for the people in the church that are newer to the congregation, um, bringing in this, this breath of fresh life and this, this um, adding their diversity that we can celebrate to the mix. I thank you for the Joneses. I thank you for Johnny and Lindsay and Jake. God, I thank you for these people that are bringing in new perspectives and new giftings and new talents and new, new voices and new uh, people to worship with and people to study scripture with. And, and I thank you for... Of everything you're doing in this place. God, I know, I know it's easy to key in on the sin at times in the church. And I know it's easy for any church probably in America right now to preach this sermon because every single church is far from perfect. Every single church has their sin. Every single church has uh, uh, frustrations or offenses or doesn't love the right way. I know that because we're all fallen people trying to figure it out. I know that. God, I don't, I don't want to say, look at the world and say, well, all the other churches struggle in this area too. So it's just, it's just one of those things that we'll never see until the perfect has come. But rather, I want to read the scriptures and see that you actually envisioned a church 
here on the earth, in our fallen state, yielding to the Holy Spirit and able to love in spite of our differences, able to love in spite of our fallenness, able to forgive, able to cherish, able to self-sacrifice for one another, this philea brotherly love. According to scriptures, it's not just possible, it's actually required of the church. So, Father, I, I just pray that you continue to help us each individually yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit because we know that is the only way this is possible is by being yielded to the Holy Spirit, having our mind set on spiritual things, having our mind set on Christ. Because apart from that, it just is back to the physicality, the fallenness, the lusts of the flesh. So, Father, help us each individually, remind us, pull us, draw us back into the Spirit, back into the Holy Spirit, back into a mind set on Christ and his body and the kingdom. Let us be a people marked by our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us once again. We are glad you are here, uh, and we'll see you next week. God bless.